I hovered over the email with my mouse, almost afraid to click. Almost. It's just an email, Wham-Bam. Why be scared of it? I'll tell you, allies. It was in a response to a job interview I had the week prior. I'd been working for Habitual Offender for four years, and in that time I had applied for a promotion on three separate occasions. And each time was passed over. The feedback was never the same. You haven't been here long enough. We could not tell what you owned. Or, <laughs> the best one, you have not been in the role long enough. <laughs> Fun fact, I had been in an unofficial role for that same job for three years. But regardless, I kept going. I took the feedback, valid or not, and kept trying. But now after the fourth try, something stopped me from clicking the email immediately when I got it that day. I flashed back to each moment, replaying it all in my head in an instant, each time I applied, each prep session, buying new clothes. You gotta look good, right? Then the interview, then the waiting, and ultimately the rejections. But you know, I neglected to mention one other consistent thing that happened all three times. My dad was my biggest cheerleader. See, he worked for Habitual Offender as well, but in a different city. In fact, the job I was applying for was just like his. So you could say he was happy that his son was trying to follow in his footsteps. Each time I got rejected, I remember my dad saying one thing to me when I called him and broke the bad news. It's okay, son. You got knocked down. It's now time to get up, dust off, and keep moving forward. This is Wham Bam Cam, and you are listening to the Audible Ally Podcast. Lesson 22, How to Keep Getting Up, an Adapt and Resilient Series, Part 2. Welcome, allies. It is a new week, so it's time for a new lesson. This is a continuation from Lesson 21, How to Be a Frog. So if you have not listened to that episode yet, it may be best to go back and do so. This lesson is going to reference that quite a bit. It'll also be important to hear it as adaptability has quite a lot to do with resilience, today's topic. What is resilience, you ask? It's the ability to rapidly return to one's baseline emotional and mental state after a stressful, traumatic, or even triumphant event. It's the ability to literally fall off your bike, hit the ground, and have the resilience to get up and keep going, even if you think it's going to happen again. You have heard me use a phrase from Jocko in nearly every episode I have released. Keep moving forward. I guess it could be simple to see that is what I was doing each time I got rejected when I went in for those promotions. But why would I keep trying, you ask? Resilience. Some may call it something else, though. You may have heard someone quote before that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I agree with that to a point. See, there is a dichotomy, a balance to that. There is only so many times you can throw yourself against a brick wall and expect different results. At some point, you will be too bruised or banged up to even keep trying. Maybe you change your approach and find another way. Maybe you can climb the wall or tunnel underneath. That's more about being flexible, adaptable, 
Resilience is related to adaptability. In fact, I believe it's intertwined. Adaptability is being reactive to a situation. Think of our running into a wall scenario. You decide after the first try at knocking it down that you need to change your approach. Under, over, giant hammer, whatever. That's adaptability. You reacted to a situation not going the way you intended. You adjusted and tried something new. But resilience, well, that's how many times you've tried. It's being proactive to a situation. What does that mean? Let's get back to our infamous wall. Maybe from past experience, or you heard someone once say that it takes three or four runs to knock the wall down, you keep trying. So you get in your three or four point stance, take off running, and bam, into the wall. And if it does not come down, you turn around, back up, get back into position, and try again. You are trusting something inside of you that says, keep going, even if it hurts. See, three things are going to happen on that fourth attempt, though. You give up. The wall didn't come down, so you just give up. I don't recommend this, so I'm not even going to discuss the options here. Just mentioning it to be fair. Number two is adapting. The over, the under. Using a device that if I mention here, I'm now on a national security watch list. And number three, you keep moving forward. Resilience. You think to yourself, I'll try a few more times, whatever the situation is. Maybe it's not an actual wall you're running into. Maybe it's trouble in a relationship. Maybe it's like my story earlier and getting a new job or promotion. Maybe it's a specific situation within your job. I was talking to my sister, the medic, about adaptability and resilience as I was planning this series out. She was on Lesson 4 in Season 1. Just go listen to it. She is a paramedic in a particularly rough city in Texas, and she was nodding her head to a lot of what I was throwing at her idea-wise. I asked her, what keeps you going, moving forward when you have come across the unknown in a scene? You drive up thinking it's just a standard call and it's not. Maybe it's a similar one to a call that you've had previously, one you maybe didn't handle well, or you did, but the situation still did not end well for those involved. What did you do? How were you resilient? She told me this. I before E. No allies, not that age-old spelling rule you learned in grade school. Intellect before emotion. I before E. She said when she rolls up on a scene, first comes the adaptability. No two scenes are exactly the same. During that, you're taking it in and what's going on. What happened at first glance or any info that was radioed in. And then who needs help? During this time, emotions can not get in the way. Those emotions can get in the way and make the wrong call. Not all the time, but they can. So you rely on intellect, your brain, your training, your past experiences. Essentially, these things have contributed to your resilience. That is what makes resilience different than adaptability. I hope that makes a bit more sense now. So once again, Adaptability is being reactive. Resilience is being proactive. So let's go into resilience a bit more. As promised in the last lesson, I'm going to be using a book called The Attributes by Rich Devenny. I spoke about Rich in the last episode, but he is a retired SEAL officer. And similar to Jocko, 
noticed training gaps in the SEAL program during his first time in the service. He wrote a book to discuss certain attributes that everyone has just at certain levels, and how you can improve on them or soften them if you are too extreme. The chapter from the book I want to discuss in this lesson is number seven. It's entitled, The Benefits of Little Tragedies. For the next part of this lesson, join me as we follow the story of a man named Hank. Quick disclaimer, the story you're about to hear will have some graphic details. I will leave out what I can, but I'm going to keep the story relevant. All right, with that out of the way, let's get to the book. In the early morning hours of October 22nd, 2015, Hank stepped on a landmine. He was in Afghanistan, retired from the military, but working as a contractor. He was with a couple dozen other guys taking a break from the long patrol on a mountainside, but spread out. It's a standard security tactic. With some distance between them, they could keep eyes on a wider area and watch for threats coming in any direction. And scattered positions make for smaller targets, which is safer than clustered together as one big bullseye. Hank, who was one of the mission leaders, was walking to one of the groups on the perimeter to make sure they had everything they needed and were ready to move out when he heard a soft click beneath his boot. The mine Hank stepped on threw him six feet into the air. It blew off both his legs, fractured his pelvis, and punctured his right lung. Hank spent the next three days drifting in and out of consciousness. He would dream of playing with his daughters on a sunny beach, then wake up thrashing at the restraints holding him to the bed, convinced he'd been taken prisoner. He didn't know where he was, or that he'd even been injured. It was as if he was caught in a nightmare that he couldn't escape. At times, he thought he might be dead. Finally, when he was able to gain awareness of reality at the military hospital in Landstuhl, Germany, a nurse came into his room. Hank, she told him, you stepped on a landmine, both of your legs were amputated, one above the knee and one below, and your pelvis is fractured. Her tone was gentle without being emotional. You've got a long road ahead, she said, but you're stable and your family's been notified. Hank stared at her for a moment, not saying anything. He repeated her words in his head, tried to make sense of them. He was in a hospital, and both of his legs were gone. All right, he told himself. I'm going to be fine. Grab the paper towels and get to work. So a lot of my scenarios from earlier are not exactly like this. Outside of maybe one you may have come to mind while we were discussing about the medic approaching scenes. But Hank here... See, he had to do it for himself. He was able to center himself quickly and say, I need to get to work. He didn't react emotionally to the news that he was now a double amputee. I don't know if I could do that, laying there that injured and think, oh, it's time to get to work, or at least maybe not that fast. Rich takes a break in Hank's story here and goes into some details about why Hank was able to adjust so fast. Imagine your life represented by a line plotted on a page. The line moves from left to right, from the past into the present, and it extends a little bit more with each passing day. If your life was uniformly calm and pleasant, neither aggravating nor exciting, that line would be flat and level. We'll call that your baseline, and it's where you're most comfortable emotionally, mentally, and physically. But the line is rarely flat, of course. It undulates, rising and falling like an irregular wave to mirror the highs and lows of your life. There are minor squiggles all along that line because that's how life works. Traffic makes you late for an important meeting, and the line drops a bit. The meeting goes better than expected, and the line rebounds, maybe even bounces up a little. There are bigger swells and deeper troughs, too. 
success and disappointments, some more intense than others. Occasionally, the line spikes, representing your greatest achievements, and sometimes it plummets. Maybe your spouse divorces you, or maybe you even get fired. Maybe you step on a landmine. It's difficult to function in either those deep troughs or at those dizzying peaks. What you want, what you need, is to return to that baseline, to that state of pleasant calm that is neither aggravating nor exciting. That's what it means to be resilient. Resilience often is mistaken for durability. A person who can suffer an endless series of misfortunes, endure tremendous amounts of abuse, and still get up in the morning with a smile is often said to be resilient. Maybe, but it's possible that person simply has a high capacity for suffering and enduring and pretending to be happy, which is not the same thing at all. Highly resilient people are able to genuinely return to that baseline. They're able to heal the damage or process the change that those spikes and trenches represent. They tell themselves and they believe, I'm going to be fine. Time to get to work. How quickly and efficiently they can do this is a measure of where they fall on the resilience gradient. It's important to note that the same principles apply in the other direction too. It's just as important to reset from the highs as the lows. Consider someone who just received a major promotion an obvious cause to celebrate. But if that person, after acknowledging the success, can't return to the baseline, they risk a dangerously skewed view of himself and his circumstances. Will he be overconfident, unable to understand the realities of his new position? Will he become lazily self-assured, resting on his laurels? These are the seeds of arrogance, and arrogance almost always leads to complacency. During this section of the book, I find this to be a great explanation, in my opinion, of why some can seem to bounce right back after some sort of life-altering event. The part here that gets to me a bit is that durability comparison and contrast. I'd actually never thought of it that way before. I am one of many, I guess, who thought that these were interchangeable. As I reflect on my own resilience, especially in the last few years, it makes more sense. After my dad's passing... Was it resilience or durability I was attempting to use to get through it? Defined the way Rich has used it in his book, I believe now it was durability. Now, in my opinion, durability can be good in small doses. It can help you heal or detach enough to look for a path forward. It's like fear, though. It's healthy as long as it does not control you. You have to be able to overcome it after a short time. Anyway, the point that I get is life is not a flat line, and it will have ups and it will have downs. And we are but a dot on that line getting back to the baseline as quickly as we can. So how was Frank able to do that? He didn't just step on a landmine and then say, well, everything's fine, let me get the paper towels and go to work. Let's go back to the book and hear the next part of this story. Hank spent more than four months in the hospital, enduring multiple surgeries and fighting off infections. When his wounds had healed sufficiently that he could be fitted with prosthetic legs, he faced a new front in the ongoing battle, learning how to walk again. A key element of resilience is what Hank calls movement. This begins with accepting a situation for what it is, figuring out how to begin returning to that baseline, and then acting upon it. We know from the neurology of fear that getting moving is critical to success, and the process isn't much different here. Deliberate movement towards a goal is the first critical step that encourages all the steps that follow. 
It helps to have a certain mindset, one calibrated to separate what has happened from what can happen. And Hank, that was forged early on. One of his earliest memories is sitting in the living room watching TV with his family. He was five years old, and he just wanted milk. I just bought a new gallon, his mom told him. It's in the refrigerator. Hank made his way to the refrigerator, where he realized with great pride that he was just tall enough to reach the shelf with the milk. He was on his tiptoes, coaxing the gallon jug to the edge of the shelf with his fingertips until it was close enough to grab, but he missed. The milk nosedived through his hands and slammed to the floor. There was milk everywhere, floor, cabinets, walls, even a splash on the ceiling. Hank heard his mom's footsteps coming. Pit fell hard and heavy in his stomach. As a five-year-old, he says, I remember thinking my world was going to end. Mom rounded the corner, stopped, surveyed the mess, then looked at him, the maker of the mess. Her face was red, filled with anger and disbelief. But within a few seconds, Hank could see her relax. Go grab the paper towels, she said. And with no more urgency than what she told him to get the milk in the first place, she was calm, almost casual about it. And they both set up out, mopping up the mess. She never made it a big deal, Hank says. She basically told me that when something bad happens, don't waste time crying over it. Get over it quickly and get to work on the things that you can control. And that's what stuck with Hank. He realized later that it was one of his core mantras, one that showed up everywhere, from home life to the battlefield and to that hospital room in Germany. It was such a visceral memory, in fact, that it came to him in the moment after he was blown up in Afghanistan. He was on his back, dust and smoke above him. He couldn't really move, and he didn't understand why. He thought, shit, I'm the jerk that just gave away our position. He wished he could go back in time ten seconds, put his foot in a different spot, do anything differently. Anger, fear, and despair welled up. This didn't happen. This couldn't happen. I want a do-over. Please, please, please tell me this didn't happen. And then he remembered his mother. Go grab the paper towels. He could hear her saying, now get to work. And he did. Lying in the dirt, disoriented, and unable to move, he knew he needed to get to work if he was going to survive. The only thing he could control was his right hand, which he started waving, and his voice, which he used to guide his teammates to his position. The fact that they were able to get to him so quickly is the reason Hank didn't bleed to death on that mountainside. So we see here that Hank learned how to be resilient at a very young age. We've all heard the phrase, don't cry over spilt milk. But I've always thought of it as the person who spilled it, not crying. Not the person who runs over to see what happened. Interesting perspective that I've never thought of before. Sorry for the Welch's grape juice, Mom. Both sides have to remain calm. Even though his mom probably wanted to scold him, she did not. Her line was flat. It spiked in anger, but then quickly came back down. She then went through actions needed and told Hank what to do. She literally showcased resilience to him. Let's go back to some of the book for what Hank learned about why this example was important growing up. Hank was 48 years old when he stepped on that mine, which means his formative memory, the root of his resilience, was planted more than four decades earlier. Resilience is something that happens before a tragedy, not after, Hank says. It is also an attribute that improves with practice. The little boy whose mother taught him not to cry over spilled milk became, with time and similar situations, the man who could help save his own life. Part of the cause and effect of practiced resilience, Hank says, is a positive attitude. 
Cause, because it helps you be resilient. And effect, because resilience reinforces that attitude. Granted, positive attitude is not a precise scientific term. It's not quite the same as optimism. For simplicity's sake, think of it as consciously casting situations and circumstances into the best possible light. Norman Vincent Peale wrote about this basic idea back in 1952 in The Power of Positive Thinking, and there's some science in that book to back it up. Being positive is a conscious and deliberate choice, Hank says. Make a vow to be positive. Make a commitment to fill your life with happiness and joy and not a pain and misery. That's not always easy, not by a long shot. But if you commit to doing your best, then you consciously assist in your resilience. How do you do it? Hank will tell you to start by focusing on the little things, like the two things he could control, his hand in his voice when he was on his back in the dirt, dazed and hemorrhaging. Months later, when he was fitted for prosthetic legs and felt a depression settling over him, Hank reframed his circumstances to a comical degree. Wow, he told himself, I haven't weighed 165 pounds since 8th grade, and I'll never get athlete's foot again, or have to clip my toenails. That's a positive attitude. Finally, gratitude is an important emotion in building and maintaining a positive attitude, which makes it a huge part of resilience. Being truly grateful for something deflects emotional energy from resenting anything else. There is also a major chemical benefit. Expressing deep gratitude releases huge amounts of dopamine. We know how powerful dopamine is when we're embroiled in a challenge, and it's exactly what the body needs for the long climb back up to the baseline. Okay, allies, so I've definitely talked about a positive mindset before. I even started this whole podcast around it. Lesson one. How to be outstanding. And allies, if you have for some reason missed that episode, please go back. It is the first and the most popular of the lessons that I have ever put out. Without going into too much details, I learned this mindset from my dad. And he was even able to showcase how to be outstanding to others until he left this plane of existence. But it's straight up facts. All of it. Big facts. In fact, I'm in belief here that with remembering that positive mindset, the power of forgiveness and resilience is how I was able to pull myself up from the darkness. One of those traits was able to help me when the other would fail. See, Rich says something similar in the final parts of this chapter. One's level of resilience is affected by the interplay with several other attributes. There's an obvious correlation with courage and the dopamine reward that comes from directly engaging a source of fear or anxiety. Perseverance, which is the ability to keep pushing ahead despite any obstacles or setbacks, is also important. So is adaptability, the degree to which one can recognize new environments and adjust accordingly. The higher one ranks on any or all of those suggest how resilient they'll be. Hank says one more trait is essential to increasing resilience, humor. Think of that as just another dopamine hack, and of dopamine as an effective tool to get back to baseline. When we laugh, just as when we're grateful, our system is inundated with dopamine, the feel-good neurotransmitter. Sometimes our most vigorous efforts at positive thinking fall short. Sometimes a moment just sucks. That's when a well-timed laugh is invaluable. Laughter is an uncontrollable response, like sneezing. Once we start, we can't help but feel better because our brain is soaking up dopamine. Hank, though, was fortunate in that when he was surrounded by teammates who were wired for humor, who would inject some light into even the darkest situation, 
And the most important person in his life, his wife, is Hank's perfect class clown. She had to wait almost five days to see him until he was flown from Lanshul to Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C. It seemed miserably longer, though, because all she really knew was that her husband of 25 years, the father of their two children, the man she loved, had been horribly wounded. There was so much she wanted to say, but when she got to the hospital, she looked at him for a moment, not saying anything. When she finally spoke, and it was in a dead-on Forrest Gump impression. Lieutenant Dad, she barked, you lost your legs. This boosted me up in ways that are hard to describe, Hank says, and I knew then that I had everything I needed to recover. Which he did. 45 days after he was first fitted with his prosthesis, 45 days after he started learning to walk again, Hank completed eight miles of the Bataan Memorial Death March. That's a 26-mile hike through the desert of New Mexico. He did it all under his own power, with only two trekking sticks for assistance. Getting over the little tragedies in daily life is how you get over the big tragedies, Hank says. Getting stuck in traffic, being late for work, or spilling milk are all little tragedies. For me, resilience is that spilled milk. Something that happened long before I lost my legs. Not after. Start recognizing the little tragedies. They are for your benefit. So allies, from that, remember that resilience cannot stand on its own. And when it may seem like it will all fail, that's when hopefully others are there to help you through it. Yet another of the many reasons I call you all my allies. Again, I want to recommend this book, The Attributes, 25 Hidden Drivers of Optimal Performance by Rich Devenny. I'll link his website in the episode here. Give it a look over. Hey, and take his free attributes evaluation. I'll always say this. Identification of an opportunity is the first step. So go find out what you might be able to work on to improve yourself some more. So, just like Hank, it's time for me to give some gratitude. It's now that I want to thank a few allies who in the past few months with my recent struggles helped me break my funk until my resilience attribute re-engaged until I came back to my baseline. There are others, of course, and you know who you are, but you did not want to be called out, so I'll, I'll leave you out of it for, for now. First off is my old college buddy, Guillermo. In Audible Allies break, he would message me every so often just to check on me, giving words of encouragement and hinting that he missed the podcast. Guillermo, this podcast returning is mostly because of you. Through our quick chats, I was reminded of my own words, that if I even reached one person with this podcast, I was successful, that I was doing what would make my dad proud and make me proud. Thank you for reminding me of that, bro. Next is my good friend and basically brother, Falsetto Prophet. You would also message me offering guidance or help. Sometimes it was just a crap ton of memes, and I really mean that crap ton of memes. I may not have responded all the time, but I definitely appreciated the humor that you sent me. Listening to your own podcast also kept a small fire burning in the back of my heart to always bring my own back online and running. I also wanted to take an opportunity to tell everyone that Falsetto and I are working on a new collaboration. I don't want to spoil the surprise, but it will be a very special short series. We are working tirelessly just to get all the ideas and thoughts down. 
We hope to reach and help so many with what we have planned. I'm, I'm very excited for it, so stay tuned. Thank you, Falsetto, from the bottom of my heart. Mom, you're next. You've been so encouraging. Through my own darkness, you were a light, and I'm not even sure how. You knew Dad longer than most of us, but in a way, I think that benefited you. You could channel him better than anyone, regardless if you think you can or not. And you helped me realize that I don't need to be exactly like him to keep his memory alive. Thanks, Mama. I love you. Next is my sister, the medic. I can't tell you how proud of you I am. Stop blushing. To me, you are my little sister. But recently, I have come to rely on you for guidance and wisdom, and even just to bounce my own questions of sanity off of you. You helped remind me that I can trust, and that I am loved unconditionally. I love you, sis, and thank you. Finally, my wife. I don't even know where to begin. She has put up with me for the better part of 20 years, and they are the best years of my life. The thick and the thin, the weirdest and the craziest, to the boring and normal. You have stuck by my side. Been so encouraging. You let my brain do its weird, quote, off the rails, end quote, thing that only you really know about. And yet, you still love me. We are stronger than we have ever been, even with the challenges we still face today. With our renewed trust and dedication, I truly believe we can move mountains together. As one of our favorite bands sings, here's to us. And that, allies, will actually take us into this week's segment of Music Matters. Coming out of Red Lion, Pennsylvania, who started in 1997, but had their first hit self-titled album in 2009, The Atlantic Records is Hailstorm. This is an American rock band with only four members, and my wife and I have had the pleasure of seeing them four times in concert. The song I want to discuss is actually from their second album, The Strange Case Of, released in 2012. It debuted at number 15 on the Billboard 200, selling 24,000 copies in seven days. I'd call that a financial success. To date, the album's sales numbers are over 1 million copies sold. The song from the album I want to discuss is Here's to Us. Asking me to pick one specific part of the song that I love is extremely hard to do. But if I had to choose... It's the second verse and subsequent chorus. We stuck it out this far together, put our dreams through the shredder. Let's toast because things got better. And everything could change like that, and all these years go by so fast. But nothing lasts forever. Here's to us. Here's to love. All the times that we messed up. Here's to you. Fill the glass. Because the last few nights have kicked my ass. If they give you hell... Tell them to go fuck themselves. Here's to us. Lizzie Hale stated this song was written in about a day to close out the album and was a celebration song of her and her band, at the time being together for over 10 years. The song was also featured on the US TV show Glee. A clean version was recorded by Hailstorm, of course, for the show. And the song grew even more popular after that, and it is one of the most popular songs that they perform live. Here to Us by Hailstorm. Give it a listen. If you have not heard it already, or even if you have, 
The link, as always, will be in the episode description. All right, allies, it's now time to move on to our assignment. As a reminder, these are just lessons, and I can only give advice and guidance. These assignments give you some action to take to try and implement improvement in your own lives. So this week, as we discussed about resilience, I want you to practice what the medic talked to me about. I before E. Intellect before emotion. When something hits you this week that immediately makes you want to react in a negative way, stop. Breathe. And then make the call. Move forward. I want you to see the spilt milk, grab the paper towels, and get to work. Well, with that bell, it means this week's lesson is over, allies. I hope you got something out of Lesson 22, How to Keep Getting Up, the Adapt and Resilience Series, Part 2. Need to stay after class? Audible Ally is on social media. Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. I post just about every day. Sometimes there's sneak peeks of upcoming lessons, quotes, or motivation that I find from others. This is direct to you, allies, a direct link to me. So hit the episode description here and hit up the link tree. That will have all the paths and all the socials that I am associated with. Don't forget to hit the like and follow. Audible Ally is on all streaming platforms. Spotify and Apple Podcasts are the most prominent, and they allow me to post Q&As and get comments from you, the allies. But you can find this podcast anywhere. Just load up your favorite streaming app and type in Audible Ally. And I want to stop for a moment and say thank you. As of the recording and publishing of this episode, we have hit 500 plays total. So thank you all for that. We're on the path to a thousand plays and many, many more. Do you need even more content? I brought him up earlier in this episode, but my buddy Falsetto has a podcast. I talk about it at the end of all of my episodes, but that doesn't make it any less important. His podcast is entitled Chemohawk Sessions. He started his when he had the realization that the working world is a tough and unconscious grind of a place to be. So he came up with survival tips and tricks under the white collar, black belt banner of this podcast. They are all fan-freaking-tastic episodes. I love his tagline, Unwind the Daily Grind. Corporate survival not your thing? Shall I point you in the direction of a segment of Chemohawk Sessions, an older project that Falsetto and I started called Whiskey Wednesdays? We have a few episodes up, and there are going to be more once we get past some of these other projects that, that we both have going. Here there is no script, just two guys sharing a glass of inebriated wisdom. To all military, police, EMS, paramedics, firefighters, doctors, nurses, and all of those in between, you probably are the most resilient folks that I see. You have seen the worst of the worst at times. You gotta get up and dust off and keep going. So thank you for never giving up. And lastly, if you ever feel alone, lost, with no one to turn to, please reach out to someone, anyone. Talk. You have allies. You have resilient allies. We can give you that humor that might help bring you back to your baseline. Just talk. If you feel you can't, please call or text 988 from your cell. This is the National Crisis Hotline. They have a ton of resources that can help you. You just have to hit the few clicks to do so.
Allies, please join me next week for another exciting lesson. My name is Wham Bam Cam, and as always, thank you for allowing me to be your Audible Ally.